Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. As usual, I am one of your hosts, David, and on the other line is Ian Rice, the other ringleader of this circus. Well, that's a that's a fun way of describing that. <laughs> sometimes it's a train you can go off the tracks, and sometimes it can stay on the tracks, Ian. That's true. It's, it's, it's the excitement, you know? Hey, speaking of going off the tracks, I need to apologize, everybody, for uh, last week's intro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... David here had pulled about, I don't know, 13, 14 hours at work and uh, had just had a really bad day and came home and was going to have a really long day the next day. And uh, you'd think being a pharmacist, uh, taking a sleeping pill, I would know go right to bed. But instead, I I thought I could get in here and record that intro before it kicked in. And so (laughs) (laughs) if you notice my words slur a little bit and uh, my train of thought was not consistent, Ian here tried to make it as easy on everybody as possible by cleaning some of it up so uh but i do apologize for that that's my bad if if you're listening and going what's wrong with him i see they they're gonna think now like you know this is you know the three snakes years you know where you're you know too many too many drugs you get to you you're getting uh you know all the excesses of being so famous you know oh i wish i wish it was excesses from being famous but uh no i do apologize for that and i couldn't help but laugh at myself when i heard it about ian had text me the night before and it's like man i had to really work to edit that when i'm like why and he's like oh, you were you're slurring your words and all over the place <laughs> but anyway it'll all work out it'll be good but hey last week's episode was very well received it was very well received and uh you know right out of the gate did very well and uh i'm very pleased with that because i really like that episode I'm, I, as i'm sure you did too I did, and we already have a topic to have them back on and do essentially the, we essentially do their podcast on our podcast. Everybody's agreed to the idea, so a couple of months we'll have them back on. But yeah, Steve and Wyndham from the Perfect Album Size podcast were great. Ian sent them some really cool vinyl out of our uh, prize bin. It was a uh, vinyl copy of Mary My Hope's album signed by Sven and a copy of the first Magpie, the Magpie Live album uh, signed by Sven. So we hope those guys enjoyed it. Yes, I w- couldn't think of uh, two fellas I would have rather have sent that to because uh, I knew they'd really enjoy it. And uh, we really enjoyed having them on and also being on their show. It was a win-win for us. Yeah, those are good guys. And like I said, we'll have them back on. <clears throat> the name of their podcast is Perfect Album Side Podcast. Well, Ian, we launched Patreon last week, and uh, I've been very pleased with uh, the response to it and what's been going on inside of our Patreon. What about you? Oh yeah, absolutely. The uh, response has been great so far, and I really appreciate uh, anybody that's taking the time to join up and participate. And uh, I've already met some very cool people, gotten to know them, and uh, you know things are moving along nicely. It's really going to be a, a special thing, I think. Yeah, and if you want to join, it's www.patreon.com forward slash state of America. As always, it will not affect this podcast in the least. As a matter of fact, it's going to make this podcast better because it gives us significantly more money for giveaway stuff. We're doing some giveaways inside of Patreon, but most of the giveaways are going to be on the big podcast. We're going to be giving away some tickets to see uh, Trigger Hippie and Steve Gorman in Nashville, March the 11th. We'll do that soon. That's going to be a Twitter contest. 
So let's give a shout out to our new Patreons. All right. Lisa Jean Thoreau. Uh, I live kind of close to Louisiana, so I was kind of going to do it with the Cajun way. Uh, Trent Johnson. We've met Trent. Good guy. Michael Hogan. Joey Intervello. David Hall. He's got mystery vinyl on the way to him. Tom Bowen. Chris Pitch. David Hassett. All right, David. I'm going to jump in on a couple here. We got Mr. Jason Donsis, who is the man of many ideas, uh, a couple of which we've already opted to use, and he'll be appearing with us as our first Patreon guest on an episode with a very interesting topic that we uh, will be revealing later. All right, Jason, we're not completely sure how to say your last name, so I'm going to just say Jason Donkus. Is that what you would say, Ian? Well, I threw it out there as Donsis, but, uh, you know, we can't be sure. We could be wrong. We could be wrong, but... uh... That's what happens when you get a guy from the South and a guy from Long Island. We just sit here and scratch our heads. Maybe that's the way to to say it. We also have uh, Mr. Steve Gleason, the man, the myth, the legend... Uh, Steve is the bass player in the fabulous Amorican's Black Crows tribute band, as is Mr. Seth Miller, who handles the Chris Robinson role in that band, good buddy of ours as well. And also Roland DeJean, who is the Rich Robinson of that Amorican's tribute band. Roly, how are you doing? Love that guy. Uh, Mr. John Gaffney, Mr. Tony Henry, Brian McCauley, Brett Hogan. Brett has always been a big, big-time supporter of the State of Amorica podcast. And we're very lucky to have him around. Michael Parker, all the way from the UK, longtime friend, even before the podcast started, knew him from the true fans of the Magpie Salute group on Facebook. Mr. Jason Johannes, longtime supporter, also one of the co-hosts of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention, with a tremendous amount of reverence, Miss Kate Thompson, the queen of State of America. David, back over to you. Our old buddy Don Lane. Justin Frey, who we're going to have on sooner rather than later. Michael Roth, uh, our buddy from um, Brazil, Pedro Abrahonas. Pedro is one of the nicest people you'll ever meet and probably the biggest supporter of this podcast. we got to have Pedro on sometime as well. Our old buddy, Sean Hillman. We met Sean in Atlanta last year. We're going to hang out with Sean at uh, Nashville next month. Uh, our buddy Brian Rosenberg, who you hung out with before at uh, the Black Crows, and we've talked to him a couple times on Zoom. Brian, your test pressing of Buffalo Junior, like I said, is on the way. Gary Radcliffe, we just met him. Super nice guy. David Lasseter. Let's not forget Mitch, one of the first people to jump on the Patreon. Thank you, Mitch. And finally, Thomas N. Jones. So thank you all guys for, for signing up for Patreon. We hope you're enjoying it. Like I said, we've already given away a couple of free things we're going to have a good guest for one of our Zoom hangs, and I, when that's ha- when that's going to happen, I'm going to put it out on Twitter if anybody wants to join for that. But like we said, like we're not going to have like Mark Ford on there and not have him on like the big podcast. So you're not going to miss out on us having like a special guest or anything. Right, right. And uh, we've already done one of those uh, Zoom hangs, like a trial run kind of thing, and we had a lot of fun doing that. So definitely doing it again. We have to try to have a guest every every couple of times, and then. We'll have themes on it. Maybe we'll discuss an album or argue with each other about certain songs. And then the bonus episodes are going to, like we said, we guarantee one bonus episode and one Zoom hang a month, but it's going to be more than that. Absolutely. But as you said, we're definitely going to reserve the main guests for the main podcasts. And speaking of which, this week we have some pretty interesting guests. Wouldn't you say this is something you lined up, actually, David? Yeah. So last year I started listening to uh, a podcast called The State of Love and Trust. Obviously, that's a Pearl Jam podcast. But um, I go on these Pearl Jam binges for a couple of months. That's all I'll listen to pretty much and then take a couple of months off. And I was in the middle of one of those binges. 
Well, their their podcast is set up a lot like ours. I think they've been do- they may have been doing it longer than us. I'm not sure, but it's just them talking passionately about Pearl Jam. They're both very smart, very articulate guys. Bring a lot to the table from a musicianship standpoint. The way they analyze lyrics and, and emotion, and just talking about how you know their music makes them feel. And so I kind of felt like kindred spirits with them to some to some degree because the way they talk about Pearl Jam's, the way we talk about the Black Crows, and Ian, you and I are both really big Pearl Jam fans as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have tons of Pearl Jam stuff in my collection. I did a deep dive with them a long time ago. You know, I've followed them since the beginning. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, because we uh, had them on as guests, I when I was last in the record store the other day, I actually took a browse through the Pearl Jam section, which I don't often do because I have a lot of stuff. But I found a really nice uh, one of those official bootlegs from 2000 Wembley Arena, and I bought that. So that was uh, courtesy of those two guys <laughs> inspired that purchase. So, yeah, so we had Paul and Jason on and I'm going to go ahead and apologize ahead of time for my audio on that. Literally, as we were starting the Zoom call. Something happened here at my house, and my internet and Wi-Fi went completely away. So I actually do my part of it over the phone. So the audio on my end is not going to sound quite as good, so I do apologize for that. But those guys had a good time. I I know they've tweeted about it. They talked about it on their last podcast, which really makes me happy. So like we told them, there's a lot of overlap between the Black Crows and Pearl Jam fan bases. So hopefully we can expose a few more people to their podcast and uh, turn people on to them. Yeah, we really went into the parallels between the two bands, and, and there's really a lot. And I, I thought it was a, a really interesting discussion. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I certainly would welcome those guys back anytime. I'd like to have them on again and us do a a Pearl Jam deep dive on our podcast. So oh, many, yeah. So many people listen to Pearl Jam that listen to this podcast. I don't think it would be off-putting to many people anyway. No, definitely not. So that those are our guests this week. But Ian, before we go to them... Some Black Crows dates are starting to trickle out for this summer, it looks like. Yes, yes, and uh, that's encouraging for you know anybody who's trying to plan out their summer tour ticket purchasing. It looks like maybe something's on the horizon, a uh, full-scale kind of thing. Not really clear on what it's going to be. Personally, I, I, I'm hoping it's not the Shake Your Money Maker setup. Uh, as much as I enjoyed it, uh, you know, it's not something I'd want to repeat. I'd want something you know fresh. Well, they're popping up on some festivals. Jazz Fest in New Orleans, which is a big deal. I saw one date pop up for Wolf Trap. I believe that's in Virginia, outside of D.C., Yes, if I'm not mistaken. They have the Super Bowl show coming up. So hopefully, we know they were in in the studio doing something based on the pictures that we all saw that hit the internet last week. So, yeah, I hope we get a full-fledged tour. But I got to be honest with you, they're waiting kind of late in the game to announce it. Yeah, but, you know... typical black crow style they don't they do things a little left of center so you know i'm still hopeful that uh, something will be out there i'd like to see maybe like a double set list you know to break in the middle and uh, vary some things up you know maybe first set stay a little more southern harmony centric but you know just get a little more variety going yeah that and maybe throw in some new music yes yes that would be uh, ideal of course Guys, we know you're listening. We want hear we want to hear some new music. Yes, <laughs> we're telling you what we want. Please, 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 and release those live albums that you have recorded on vinyl or for ex- like exclusive download. Make people pay for them. We're trying to give money here. Yeah, I mean that that one show on the Shake Your Money Maker tour was uh, recorded video and audio, of course. So I'm still 
curious as to what might uh, come of that. I'd like to see a release of that because that was visually that's something that was really cool, and it would be nice to have a, a document of that. So, what if they released a Robinson Family box set? Now, do you mean something that was not only Black Crows, but maybe some of their solo material thrown in and demos for that and all kinds of rarities in that aspect as well? Put out some Hookah Brown stuff. Yeah. Put out some New Earth Mud stuff. See, the funny thing is about the Black Crows and, and, and the related projects, they're all very well recorded and very well documented. Like, these guys were smart, like, from early on, you know, to uh, archive a lot of this stuff. So they have seemingly a wealth of material to draw from. I agree. We're just over here with fistful of hundreds saying, hey, we want to give you money. Let's I've never had to beg somebody to take my money so much. I know, man. <laughs> Come on, guys. Quit selling the socks and put out the live shows. But man, uh, those, those, that sock thing really sticks in a lot of people's craw. <laughs> it, come on, gotta have some fun. You know, Chris probably laughs that they're selling socks. <laughs> so, hopefully, uh, new music's on the horizon. Hopefully, a more extended tour is on the horizon. But uh, regardless, we're going to be here and celebrate the music of the Black Crows as we always do. All right, everybody, here's Jason and Paul from the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. One of the more fun crossover episodes we've done. We really like these guys. Hope to have them on again. Go give them a listen. It's really, really good. You guys have heard me mention a couple of times on our podcast uh, my love for the Estate of Love and Trust podcast, a Pearl Jam podcast hosted by Jason and Paul. And I, I found it last year when I was on the Pearl Jam binge. And uh, there's a couple other Pearl Jam podcasts out there, but I got to say this is the best one. I've listened to all of them uh, at various times. And so we've wanted to have these guys on for a while, and we're able to coordinate everybody's schedule this week. And so welcome to the podcast, Jason and Paul. Hello. It is a pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Thank you for having us. Oh, anytime. Uh, Ian and I, we talk a lot of Pearl Jam behind the scenes with each other and uh, really like the band. But more importantly, before we get to the band, what gave you guys the idea to start the podcast? Because, um, like I said, there's several others out there. Uh, Y'all's is the cream of the crop for sure. But um, you'll get everywhere to flattery, David. (laughs) What, what uh, What gave you the idea to do it? You know, it was uh, it was a very organic process. You know, Jason and I have been obviously huge fans for a while. Uh, we actually met over the band. We we met over Pearl Jam. Started hitting up shows back in two thousand nine here in Los Angeles, and uh, at some point, you know, like he was coming over, and I was just sharing just you know di- different rarities and, and and bootlegs and live cuts of certain tracks and. He was showing me his live cut of the week years before we even right. (laughs) So at some point, Jason was like, "Man, we we should totally start a podcast." Because he had a podcast called the Gizmo Show. I think is one. You had a couple of different uh, podcasts. I think at at the time, 
And uh, we were just toying around with the idea. It was just a, like a whimsical thought. We didn't actually think that it was going to happen to the degree that it has. But, you know, when he suggested, I remember thinking to myself, man, that would be a lot of fun. That would be awesome. And I think about a year or a little bit more than a year went by where it, it just kind of that it just that thought just kind of hovered in the ether. But we didn't actually make a move on it. I, just, I didn't have a bandwidth in my life at the time. And then um, COVID came. <laughs> and decided Suddenly, to provide everyone with the bandwidth to just about <laughs> anything you wanted from your house. So uh, at that point, you know, we were just starred for, for some purpose, just something to do. And, you know, you can only be landlocked and, and quarantined for so long before you start going cabin fever crazy. So he hit me up and he said, hey, uh, how about that podcast idea? And we just started talking nuts and bolts with it. Uh, but that that's that's kind of the inception. I don't know, Jason. Do you remember it differently, bud? It, it, we we yeah, we met in 2008 through a mutual friend at uh, a bar called Jones on Santa Monica uh, in Formosa in West Hollywood. And um, it's actually a bar John Wayne used to go into about. It's a fantastic bar. You guys would, yeah, yeah. would love would like it. And we just started talking about Pearl Jam, and all of a sudden, like the mutual friends started going to the back burner. When we became the the main friends, and yeah, we went to. A bunch of shows here in LA uh, over the years, uh, last two major tours. Yeah, with many scotches and many late listens and, and discussions philosophically and, and otherwise. And yeah, it, it, we had a lot of free time uh, about two years ago, it's almost two years ago at this time. Ugh, gross. Um, how long it's been. But, um, and you know, there are, you mentioned there are other podcasts out there, and I think they all serve a purpose. I think, you know, the guys on Live and Four Legs, they are tackling an over thousand episode journey because they're going through every single show. And I love that they're doing that because that's an endeavor. Uh, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're going after it and kudos to them for doing it. And they're really, really good at that. I don't think we were out there. To, we, we came out to do anything, but be ourselves and throw our voices into the mix. And hopefully people kind of appreciated how we approached it. We didn't really have a, an agenda in mind per se. It was like, let's think of some topics and some ideas that people might be interested in talking about. Like if you were to go on the, the Pearl Jam 10 club Facebook page, what are folks talking about? And it might be something silly. It's like, Hey, rank the songs. And it's like, okay, that's, that's cool. How many times can you do that? But how can we like take the idea of a list and ranking and get a little bit more interesting with it? It, it helps that, when your podcast partner actually is a producer and does this for a living. So. Well, yeah. So but by, by, uh, by trade, I am a, a television producer. So I kind of have, you know, segments and in, in, in production value and, and that kind of thing in the back of my mind. But I will say, even though, you know, there's that, it's all sizzle, no steak. If you don't have the, the, uh, the meat behind it. And I would defer to Paul for carrying the load in that department, because if it was just me, you'd have just a bunch of gibberish. Uh, I have to basically ping pong off of his um, very ethereal, educated takes. And I'm just like, yeah, that's almost bitching. <laughs> <laughs> how is the, uh, how's the, how's it been received by the fan base? I think, well, um, analytically speaking, I don't know what everybody else is getting on, uh, you know, per views or subs. I actually don't even think they show you subs anymore, but when the, the numbers that I can see, everything has been trending steadily up the entire time we've had the show, which is great. Um, we passed the thousand follower mark on Instagram a few months back, right after the Ohana Festival, which is which is cool, I, I mean, guess. I'm not sure if that's a good number or not. But. Really blessed with the opportunity to uh, 
to just carry on this this great discourse about this mm. wonderful music with with people all over the world. Uh, you know, Jason will sometimes mention, "No, we got listeners in this country now, and there's listeners in that country." And I, first of all, it, it's an honor, and, and it's it, it's a very it's a flattering privilege. I, I never thought anyone would give two shits about what we have to say. <laughs> and so, at, least, at least not not in a different hemisphere. Hey, but those thirteen I, people in in uh, in. Uh, Estonia, (laughs) but uh, you know, I I have to say that one of the things that we're most grateful for has been the opportunity to expand not just our 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 outreach within the Pearl Jam fan community, but to be able to bond with people all over the world over music. You know, Andy Wood said music is a universal language, and we 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 really feel that uh, that way. I mean, we we've developed some strong bonds and friendships with. Pearl Jam fans all across the globe, including some outstanding, I hate to call them cover outfits because they're, they're so much more than that. Black Circle, chief among them as, as a band that does outstanding original music. And uh, yes, I mean, I think they're, they're primarily known outside of Brazil for being a, a Pearl Jam cover band, but man, their, their original stuff is, is fantastic, right? So we would have never even had the opportunity yeah. to get to know these guys uh, or, or be, have the opportunity uh, to, to be chatting with you, Dave and, and Ian, if we didn't you know, bond over music like this. So it's just a great, great, wonderful forum to to offer people the opportunity to just reach out and connect with others over over something like music that just allows people to just be themselves and, and express just different views. And it's not about debates. You know what I mean? That's the wonderful thing about music is it, it really does bring people together. So if there's anything I'm most grateful for due to this experience, it's that. And a great example of that was the Ohana Encore Weekend. Uh, Paul and I went to the very last show in Dana Point, California, and we were wearing the t-shirts and we were chatting up on on like a Facebook messenger and, and text people who are going to be there and just meeting up with folks They're like, hey, oh, you're so-and-so. Oh, you're so-and-so. One of the things that I think makes your podcast to me stick out from some other podcasts is you guys talk a lot about kind of the emotional connection to the music. And ultimately, that is what that's what matters. And that's what brings us all together. For instance, I know, you know, uh, all those yesterdays off healed. Y'all can wax poetic about that. You know, well, I can. You know Paul won't, won't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that comes across and it's very genuine. You can't fake that. And I'm sure all of us, I've had emotional responses to Pearl Jam, just like I have the Black Crows. And I think you guys do a very good job of portraying that and putting it out there for people to to love and that's that's why one of the reasons i think your podcast is so good well thank you yeah, i mean that's it's very nice much, much appreciated david i think i think that's the point though i think you're right you know we, we I, I as much as i love talking about the musical part of it and how the guitar riffs are played or what matt's doing on the drums because that, that really kind of gets my gets my juices flowing. I, I love playing music and, and when i was younger being in bands and rocking out and, and writing stuff and getting the creativity flowing that that's that's the canvas though the people not many people are not many bands are out there that aren't really singing or 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 telling a story or tell, or singing a poem as it were and so that's kind of the the bigger picture right is is how do these songs what 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 does ed or or matt or stone or jeff or mike what are they trying to say and ultimately that's kind of where a lot of our topics come from you know or or if they don't come from how does it make you feel 
know, we have a thing called the, the playlist, you know, mm-hmm. your rage and fury songs, your upset songs, your celebration songs. I mean, that's kind of a cheeky way of kind of getting into it to kind of lure people in, people in. but then you're having like a pretty deep dive of, of what that song really means to you when you're going through it. So I guess it's kind of the producer mentality of kind of the old bait, bring them in and then kind of edutain them with something that that's a little bit deeper than on the surface. But yeah, you're right. That that's, that's why people fall in love with certain kinds of music. And we're fortunate given Pearl Jam's longevity in a lot of ways, they're a time capsule band. I mean, sure. you can ref there, there's so much cultural context to be referenced from basically like, you know, late eighties, starting with Green River and Mother Love Bone all the way through today. And, and you, you can, you know, reference a whole social commentary based on so much that's happened in this country and, and quite frankly, globally in a lot of ways as well. When, when you start thinking about uh, environmental ramifications and just geopolitical conversations, there's just so much to mine. There's a lot of territory there within the music and a lot of the messaging and the signaling, whether you agree with it or not, which, and by the way, I I don't think anybody has to agree with it all in order to be part of the discourse. And and I think in that regard, we're very fortunate that, uh, you know, we're a Pearl Jam podcast as opposed to, you know, a Nickelback podcast. (laughs) Paul, will you look at this photograph? Yeah. (laughs) Every time I do, it makes me laugh. (laughs) See, the thing about a a band that has longevity like that, because the Black Crows are the are the same way. They've been, you know, they started in 1990, and there's a a a fan base that continues to grow. Like a core fan base is is a certain age bracket, but there's always going to be slightly older people and slightly younger people coming on. And Ian, when you and David go to these shows, pardon the interruption, but I'm sure you see people there, and you're starting to see another generation within the fan base, people bring in their kids right. at some point, you know what I'm saying? And we see that at Pearl Jam shows as well. There's a legacy there in being a follower and, and a listener of a band like, like, like the Crows or a band like, like uh, Pearl Jam. And it's, it, it, it's, it's not really quantifiable. And I think that to, to a certain extent, we're fortunate that you can really build not only a, a sense of community around that, but it, it expands far beyond just the individual bands themselves. Well, let me ask you guys this, because I, I have not, I've probably listened to your last 30 or 40 episodes. Have you ever made an attempt to get a member of the band on? <laughs> sort of. Yes, I, I have, you know, Los Angeles is a funny animal and, mm. you know, everyone knows kind of somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody kind of thing. Uh, you know, we've reached out to certain people. My neighbor is a sound mixer uh, who does a lot of Miley Cyrus stuff. I asked him yesterday, I go, Hey, have you ever worked Pearl Jam? He goes, no, no, but my buddy, Greg is their front of house guy. I'm like, okay. Do you want to, he's like, yeah, I'll ask him. I'm like, cool. And then I, then I said, do you know Andrew Watt? And he goes, unfortunately. And I go, Oh no. I go, was he full of himself? He goes, that's an understatement. So that's, that's third hand. But my point is, is like, there, there are those kinds of relationships where, you know, a buddy knows someone who happens to work at the same place that Brendan O'Brien is, is agency is. So trying to like find those relationships has been interesting. Has it borne fruit yet? Not really, but that's, that's the struggle. Right. And so we've gotten, we've gotten sort of close. I, I ha I do have a very short Instagram message conversation with Jill Vetter. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but that was around the EBRP benefit last year. Uh, but we're trying to kind of like 
get the building blocks, right? We're trying yeah, to find you, the person who's like, you gotta oh, hey, they're not crazy. play that hand at the right time yeah, if, if yeah, you're yeah. positioned to do so. If you if you play it too early and, and you know, it'll look like amateur hour. And at that point, it's, you know, it would, and I don't blame anybody in the band for thinking that or think, you know, what are we getting ourselves into jumping on with, with these guys? So it's, uh, but uh, to your point, we joked about this, uh, I think over, over our, our New Year's episode, Jason, we talked about it. If we are fortunate enough to reach that place, that's arguably the zenith of, of this podcast. Oh, we, we quit. can't top that. We could say, like, where, where do we go from here? <laughs> Jason joked. He's like, all right. So now that we have Pearl Jam on next week, we're going to talk about, you know, top five Pearl Jam driving songs. Well, the lucky thing for us is we've had four members of the band on. Oh, and, oh man. What a dream, man. We have hat uh, tip, by the way. Yeah, seriously. Um, we have found that once word gets out, you're not trying to get people on to have get you questions, you know, or at, we, we approach everything from a positive standpoint. There's a lot of negativity in the Black Crows community, and we've just never gone down that road and it made it all about the music and not the personality. I, I would say keep trying because what happens is kind of once you get your foot in the club, people talk to each other and like, yeah, they took care of me. They, you know, they, they were, you know, didn't ask me anything scandalous. And I mean, we've had Susan Tedeschi on and we were lucky enough when uh, our Steve Gorman interview aired, he got picked up and was put on the uh, Rolling Stone website. Variety.com had it. And it, it's been really nice because everybody that we've dealt with has been some of the nicest people we've ever talked to. So you'll get somebody on at some point. Um, I'm, I'm, because if you listen to it, if you listen to your podcast with, you know, attentive ears, you're not fanboying out in a way that's silly. I mean, you guys can like just wax poetically about the most, the smallest, least known Pearl Jam song. My wife so, will agree with you on that one for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you want to I mean, what much to her chagrin, I imagine. <laughs> to, to me, though, if I'm in the band, why not go on there? These are obviously people that are intelligent, well spoken, and I've my music has helped shape their life and it's been there for them so i think keep it up and i think you'll i think you guys will get somebody on for sure i mean who knows who knows eddie better may be listening right now <laughs> eddie hey, <give> me- <laughs> remember that time that we talked in 2006 <laughs> come on back let's just finish the conversation <laughs> so so some of the things that ian and i have been coming up with where the crows and uh pearl jams careers kind of run neck and neck both bands' first album was their best-selling albums. Both bands' second albums debuted at number one. Both bands' third albums marked a little bit of a change in the sound. Both bands' fourth albums were a complete left turn. Both bands tried to go back to a more conventional sound on their fifth album. And also, the common ingredient is Brendan O'Brien. Mm. Uh, he cut his teeth on those first two Black Crows albums, engineering them. That's somebody that that we've actually tried to get on our podcast, which would be, a, would be a huge get. But both bands kind of took the road less traveled at times. And um, but Ian came up also with both bands first albums, the diehard fans. Most diehard fans don't think they're their, their best album. What do you think? You want to take us first? Uh, sure. I mean, you know, we, we actually spoke about this on an episode a while back. We've never done a ranking the albums podcast that'll be when uh, we're at, at the coda of our career here <laughs> and uh i mean there, there was that was a conscious decision which which i, I, I still think makes sense for us but 
I would argue that 10 was just, just this supernova of an album that obviously put the band on the map. I personally don't think it's their necessarily. It, it's to, to us. I think both Jason and I agree. It, it was, it was a flawless output. There's not a bad song on it. And uh, it, it's just it, it, at the same time, it's hard to argue that that's the, the pinnacle or Zenith of their, creative abilities because it just wasn't you know what i mean i think that was just this perfect storm of who each band member was at that time given the state of 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 love and trust that they were in with each other and they just kind of came together and it just was this this magical combustible just magic in a bottle but a lot of times bands fizzle out after that you know the, the, the cat gets popped off and fizzy 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 and then flat and gone and pearl jam wasn't that they were able to build on that similar to what the black crows were able to do personally i'm i'm a huge fan of uh, uh vitology i think it's the the band's white album if i had to reference something like that I, I i thought it was a very ambitious project at the time you know a lot of people actually think gigaton is is a borderline masterpiece which, which is their latest so I don't think 10 is necessarily their best because I don't really know how to quantify what that means. Like how, how, what, what, what are the parameters? You know, what, what's the prerequisites? Is it, is it based on sales? Is it based on messaging? Is it based on, on what? I mean, I don't even know where to go with that. So at, we are going to have to rank them at some point. We don't have to, but we'll choose to. <laughs> uh, I, I, but I think it's going to be a very subjective endeavor in the sense that it's going to be, you know, here's why I think this is the top album, but I can't argue with Jason if he disagrees because <laughs> we're all basically using a, a, our own metrics at that point. Yeah. It's that, that's, that, I, I try to always think about, you know, favorite versus best. Those are two different things. Best is hard when it's art, right? How do you qualify or uh, quantify that to, right. to borrow his term? I, it's, it, there's always a special place in my heart for 10 because that's the album I dropped in on. I was 10 years old, heard Jeremy on the radio go, holy fuck, what is that? Can we, can we swear here? Can we swear? Yes, absolutely. So I hear that. I'm like, this is crazy. I get the CD. I'm like, oh my Lord, this is incredible. And as a 10 year old, it hits you at the right time. You're kind of like rebelling. You're starting to get those hormones. You're shooting through you like crazy. You know, you're a little pissed at people. <laughs> and I always, I always say that at the time, the first couple of albums were, the reason why they were so immense and stratospheric is because the way that they played and wrote music was like they were, they were performing, they were performing at you, but they were they were listening to you at the same time. Does that make sense? Yes, mm-hmm. it does. But it's hard for me to really recognize that because the, the problems that they were listening to of their audience um, and they were singing about, I was all too young to really understand. I just knew that the that I loved what the, how the emotion of of his singing was as singing was and what the music was doing to me. And it was just rock and roll. It was it was powerful. It was raw. It was emotive. And to this day, that's my favorite kind of music in general is raw, powerful, and emotive music. Um, not to say that I don't enjoy something acoustic and kind of melancholy as well. But I think at the time, that's why it kind of stood out to me. I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for that. Is it my favorite? That's hard to say because I think I, I uh, latch on to some of the things on the later albums more just because of how old I am. And now what I'm really kind of latching onto or what I relate to the most maybe came from like Barnul or Riot Act or, or Avocado or Baxter. I mean, it's hard to say if I had to combine the two to figure out what my favorite is. I mean, it might be yield. It might be Vitalogy. It's, it's hard to really say, but I think when you talk about people saying, 
the, the hipster Pearl Jam fans, 10 is terrible. It's like bottom tier for me. Like, okay, they're, they're being pieces of shit. They're wrong. It's great. <laughs> but I understand if they're like, you know, I really love the, the eclecticism. What's the word there? Eclecticity? How eclectic no code was, okay, or is. People love that album for how all over the map it was. It had mm-hmm. some garage rock. It had some quiet stuff. It was all over the place. And if you subscribe to that, then kudos to you. But it's like, I always find that people, when they, when they bad mouth, like, oh, I've heard it live a thousand times. Okay. It's an amazing song. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I have to tell you. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I, I kind of draw the same parallel with the Black Crows in the respect that their first album was their most commercially viable and is, you know, is a really, really great album. Just like I think uh, 10 is a really, really great album, but I think strike me as a Southern harmony fan. Yes, I am. Yeah. That's not actually my <laughs> favorite album. record or the one yeah. I've drawn to the most, but I think that both bands got much more creative and interesting as they went along. And I think that's once you're, you know, 10 or in our case, shake your moneymaker got you in the door. But if you stuck with the ride, the more interesting stuff really came later. And that's, you know, and, um, both fan bases also have a very considerable emotional attachment to the band. And that's why I think they're, they're both very similar in that regard. Completely so agree let, with you. One of the things to me that's always stuck out about Pearl Jam is they're 30 years in. All right. Go back to when they formed in 1990 and go back 30 years. That was before the Stones were, were there, were even a band. To think that they are that far along in their career and then putting out amazing music. Gigaton was, I, I think it was my album of the year, the year it came out. It's wow. in my top four or five Pearl Jam uh, albums. Is that something that you guys, I'm sure you appreciate, but ever sit back and think this is a band 30 years in and they're putting out socially and musically relevant material and it's not cheesy or it seems contrived. It, it's because they, they do what they want to do, but they've given themselves each the space to be themselves outside of the band. I think we talk about that a lot in, in how they could have imploded any number of times in the nineties, some more documented than others, you know, it's like a master. And we talk about the birth of no, which is kind of around uh, the, the end part of the, of the 10 tour when MTV was like, if you recall the singles premiere movie party, um, they got really drunk and smashed up the place and they started saying, you know what, we're going to start saying no to things. And it kind of like, you know, it's kind of turned on a dime, but they could have gone the other way. A number of those times have happened over the years. And I think they've always found themselves to give each other the respect and space that they need to be themselves. And, and so it allows them to come back and be the brothers that they are. And they're still engaged. We just talked about a couple of episodes ago, maybe even last episode, Paul, when, when we said that when the guys are having fun, you're going to get good music. So that's that's the that's the same thing with any any group, music or otherwise. If the people who are in the group together are having a great time, you're going to get a great output, whether you like the output or not. It's going to be great for them, and yeah, so I, and I think that's that's the longevity of it. No question. And in addition to giving each other the space to be themselves outside of the band, there's also that creative license to bring in that singular mm. identity to the band sessions. A song like Dance the Clairvoyance is a perfect example of that. A lot of fans maybe were skeptical or turned off by a track like that. That kind of stuff excites me because when I hear that, it tells me that they're willing to continue to push the boundaries 
of what they're capable of creatively and expand their sound, which only means more music. It means a happier artist. It means, you know, it gives them the opportunity to kind of, you know, realize the creative ambitions that they have both as individuals within the band and outside of the band. And I think that that's really key and important when it comes to why David, you, you, felt the way that you did about an album like Gigaton because there, there's so much fresh sonic opportunity with an album like Gigaton that we never would have thought was possible when you listen to an album like, you know, for example, Binaural or, or going back even further, an album like Versus. They all sound different too, by the way. I don't yeah, think we've ever actually really approached that on our show, but if you really zoom out, every single, from from how the songs are constructed to the way Eddie wants to sing to the length, to the production, to I mean, one and binaural had half the out, half the songs recorded in binaural. Um, right. And then in gigaton was mixed in Dolby Atmos for those of that, those of you who could, who could do it, but every album actually sounds completely different. I mean, how often do you see that actually work? I, you know, I've never thought about that, but you're right. Like avocado just has almost like a raw punk rock sound to it. It sounds more akin to verses mm-hmm. than anything else, but it's still yeah. not there. And then you've got Gigaton, which to me, songs like Seven O'Clock have a much more layered feel to them. There's a lot of space in there. And honestly, a lot more melody, I think, on Gigaton. Uh, like you're saying dance of clairvoyance that has to be the lead single right or you don't put it on the album that has to be the lead single it gets everybody talking i'm sure because when i first heard it i go are they putting out a talking heads album because i mean yeah that's that's exactly what it sounds like obviously you guys are, are are fans of that album too do you find though that there's if there's ever been an album by them that you just don't like as a whole, I, yeah. I mean, we, we talked, we mentioned a few times about how Right Act is arguably the least accessible album. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I can put that thing on at any given point and just give it a full listen without the desire to have to skip songs or, or pull it off. But I will say that I had to work to get myself to that point. You know what I mean? And there's something about you know, Ian, you referenced this this emotional attachment to a band where when they put something out, even if I don't like it immediately. I'm less inclined to just dismissively wave it off. I'm more inclined to say, what are they trying to do here? I I liken it to the experience of going to a museum and staring at a painting for an hour and trying to figure out what is the artist trying to say here. And, And I think that that is the beautiful relationship that gets forged when you connect with a band's music, because it's less about, you know, this doesn't have the hook. You know what I mean? It's more about, what is the artist trying to do? I respect this musician. I respect this band. And I, I know that there, there's something profound here that moved that artist. And I may not connect with that sound the same way that the artist was able to connect with it. You know, that lightning bolt moment that, that Eddie sings about on, um, on, on lightning bolt. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I want to understand it. I want to see that. You know what I mean? So you're willing to labor through a song that you may not initially connect with. And I think that's only possible if a band has earned that level of credibility and there's that, 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 that element of trust that you have as a listener. You've built capital in the band. Yeah. The, the band has built capital in you. So if there's a song, you know, I, I, I still really struggle with, for example, what's a song I don't care. I don't care for too much, Paul. 
Uh, let's see. You, you are not a huge fan of Dance of the Clairvoyant. <laughs> I, I was at the beginning, but that's a yeah. great example of a song that I, I started giving. I just gave it more time. Gave it more time. I, I don't. I, I, I'm not big on electronic influences and in what I can. I always consider rock and roll to be kind of a raw, organic art form. And so, not that that, that genre is wrong. I just don't like mixing them too often. But I've 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 started to find ways that I like it. Um, even songs like um, "Slide of Hand." There you go. "Slide of Hand" has been a bugaboo song from my of mine for a long time. But here's the thing: even if I don't come to fully love it. I can pick out points of that song that I'm like, man, that's a really cool idea there. I love that they tried to do this. I love, if I don't love the music, I go, but the lyrics are friggin' sweet. Like that was the thing with Dance of the Curve once. I love the lyrics from day one. I go, these are brilliant. They're like right now lyrics. I love it. It's right on the money. And it took me some time to get to, get to the music to, to, to follow suit. Um, when I think when it comes to albums, sometimes there are albums that when, that when you come across them, when they come out, you're not at the same place in life that the band was when they made it. Yeah. When they made, when they made riot act, they were like 40 ish around, around our age now. And I was not prepared to listen to that. I was 22, 20, I was 20 when that album came out and I'm not in the same headspace, but it, there are certain experiences that the guys have had and they're like 15, 17 years ahead of us that I, it makes me excited about what's going to come. Like, when am I going to listen to Gigaton and go, oh, my God, yeah, that one. Now I really get it. Holy shit. Like, that, that's, the, that's the exciting part for me on top of even liking it now. In the future, what will I really come to relate to even better? And, and you're exactly right with that. I, no code for me. I mean, I put, that came out when I was 15 years old and I bought it and I, yeah. I, I liked it. But it wasn't until years later that it, it hit me in a different way. And that's. That's what I, I really think gives an artist longevity is if people can keep coming back and finding new things in, in your oldest record that they didn't know. Yeah. Notice I the mean, beginning. Ian, well, let me ask you a question. When you heard Three Snakes and One Charm, okay, you hear an album like that and you hear a horn section. I mean, that, that's a good example of how sometimes you may not be, you, you, you may not be in a space or at an age where you're ready for that type of a distinct departure from what you like to hear. So I'm curious, can you pinpoint a moment in the Black Crows catalog where you heard something so distinctly different that in retrospect, you weren't ready for it then, but later became more ready for it? And I pose the same question to you as well, David. I feel like the album Lions, uh, even though I enjoyed it when it came out, it came out 2001 when I, I enjoyed it at the time, but it wasn't, it wasn't very well received universally. Sonically, it was very different. And I didn't really come back to really appreciate that album. So probably eight to 10 years after its initial release, you wow. know, and it, it kind of strikes you in a different way. And you, you hear yeah. things that you didn't hear before. And you say, well, how did I miss this the first time around? And it's ultimately what makes the Black Crows music the most exciting for me. And, and the reason why I've gravitated so much, I have the, mo the largest number of those moments with the black crows i've had them with pearl jam too though so yeah <laughs> but for for me it was three snakes and one charm it's it's my second favorite black crows album now it really had to grow on me uh, i had to be a little bit more mature to appreciate it lyrically it's their i think it's their deepest album and their and their best album it's a very drug album um 
you know, it's good. To, it's good to do drugs, too. And it's good to uh, the album is about drugs and kind of the toll. They, in, they, instead they, of Exile on Main Street, it was Chateau uh, de la Croix, right? Is that yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. also a great album, by the way. That's my favorite Stones album. Too. My, mine, mine as well. And um, segueing into something else that I think the Crows and Pearl Jam have in common. They do really tasteful covers. Mm. And mm. like. I've become a band, a fan of the band Little Feet because the Black Crows play Willin a lot. Rich Robinson plays Fat Man in a Bathtub. And I've, I was like, <laughs> oh, I need to go, uh, you know, listen to Little Feet. The same thing happened to me with the Crows playing Torn and Frayed. It made me go back and revisit Exile. And now I think Exile is a perfect album. Pearl Jam obviously does that with uh, a lot of songs. Uh, you know, they're not scared to cover Neil Young. You've got the uh, Victoria Williams song, Crazy Mary. Uh, talk a little bit about that, how the, the covers, how tasteful they are that they pick. And maybe if they've turned you on to other other bands and artists. Sometimes I, I like just, I you know, they'll do Black Diamond, for example. Right. I just love seeing Mike shred <laughs> on that track. Uh, they'll they'll drop, you know, Michael drop eruption from time to time. You know, there's just certain songs that you hear and you think, wow, man, this is going to be killer. Then there's other ones when, you know, when they do Rain Over Me, you know, when they do Love Rain Over Me or, or really any Who song, you start to see how they found music. And, and at, you know, there's there's something prescient in, in Eddie calling or the whole band really calling Neil Young Uncle Neil. I mean, I, that's not an accident. You know what I mean? That there's something about being inspired and affected by music that comes out in the covers. And I think that's part of what makes them tasteful is, is their ability to to identify songs. I, I go back to, um, you know, Nirvana's Unplugged album and some of the songs there that they played on that set that a lot of fans are like, what is this stuff? You know, like the, the meat puppets, uh, the meat puppets, you know, a, a lot of people didn't know how, how huge of a, of, of Melvin's fan Kurt Cobain was, you know, and, and, and how literally it was through that relationship that he ultimately became a musician, found punk rock and, and for, formed his own band before landing on Nirvana. And so what I like about Pearl Jam covers is it provides me with a window into who they are as, as people and as musicians and the music that moves them. And, and I think that sometimes that can be challenging for me as well, because they might be into something and, I, and I'm not into it at all. And I'm like, why, why are they covering this song? But I find it fascinating because it allows me to kind of get a sense of what moves them be, be, because it ultimately is just part of a process that leads me to the music that will ultimately move me. Yeah, I think for me, it's it's pretty simple. I think a lot of the stuff they cover, I I already liked the song. I'd heard of it before. If it was like, you know, a Who song or I've obviously Ain't Talking About Love, they did a couple of times and um, Rockin' in the Free World. Some of the more obvious things I like, go, oh, I've always kind of liked that. But it's what it does is it makes me go, hey, what else is on that album? Mm -hmm. I, 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 I look up rocking on the field. I go, Oh, it's on that, that crazy horse. You know, I'm like, cool. Okay. Oh, there's, Oh, this is pretty cool. And then I'm like, well, what other good Neil Young albums are there? You know, now I have 13 Neil Young records and I'm like, I don't think I've listened to them all yet, but I'm like, now I have something to look forward to. I'm like, cool. So I'll check out harvest. You know, I'll go down the whole list. And the same thing with the who, like I, I probably had like four or five who songs, all the obvious ones, but did I ever go through and actually listen to Quadrophenia all, all the way through? No. And now I have. And I'm like, oh, shit, there you go. So it's kind of like the gateway drug. They, they kind of hook you with the songs you already know and love. Right, exactly. And it's it's funny 
the Black Crows and Pearl Jam are the are the two top bands for me in terms of hearing them do covers. And sometimes I prefer their version to the original. Yeah. I can I can say, uh, give me some truth, Pearl Jam doing mm-hmm. that. I really, really love their version of that. And I believe in miracles, which I never heard that song, the original. I just knew Ma- it Masters there. of War. What do you think of that? Masters that, of War yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, yeah exactly. By the way, the, the acoustic version, the slow acoustic version of I Believe in Miracles is fantastic. Yeah, the one that's on uh is it Benaroya Hall? That album? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's yeah. the one I, I really gravitate to. And mm-hmm. I I think it's fantastic when a band can introduce you to music like that and all and do one better on the original. I think that's that's it's hard to do. It is. It is really hard. And they pull it off constantly, Pearl Jam. I think that's yeah, a, a real feather in their cap. Speaking of rocking in the free world, vividly remember watching MTV Music Awards 93, and they came out and played Animal. And uh, as I always say, Dave Albrezis is beating the drums like they owe him money. I don't know how. I have, <laughs> That's a great I have, I have no idea how his snare drum held up, but then out comes Neil Young and they put on, in my opinion, is a top 10 televised performance by a rock band of all time. Yep. The, the energy behind that could not be faked. Neil Young's guitar comes unplugged at one point, you know, during, during the song. Was that a, was that a moment that you guys vividly remember seeing? Cause I think it's, probably the most iconic mtv video award moment ever you know it it is iconic and i do remember it but it's further underscored by what jason and i saw at ohana when they bust that song out on the last night and what was it like 50 people on stage with them tim robbins everybody it was little hockey players it was ridiculous it was just a a perfect reflection of of what a cover like that means to a band like that i don't know that i remember actually watching it live because I, I would have been what 11 years old and I, I don't know that I was necessarily allowed to watch a lot of MTV at the time but I remember seeing it years later and having you know at that point I had probably watched a number of MTV VMAs um, or even Grammy appearances or something like that or performances I should say and thinking to myself oh man as far as memorable performances I would put it by like the the, the Kanye interruption of Taylor kind of thing like I remember that <laughs> like really, really vividly now. Like this is an iconic performance. But not only that, it's like when you perform at a, an award show or even like a late night show, the audience isn't necessarily there for you, right? They're, they're all pretty, pretty kind of, they're not there to see you and rock out, but they were. And in a way that I feel like the producers were like, didn't really expect this. Just go with it, guys. Go with it, guys. Follow, follow him. Uh, this is a little off script here. And that's the kind of energy that I was so drawn to at the time. It was like, we are going to play our hearts out on this stage. And then if it doesn't really fit into your like pre-programmed rundown of a show, yeah, tough titties. Like we're just going to, we're, we're going to do our thing. You know, like I said, I wasn't the biggest fan of 10. I mean, I love Alive. It's Alive for my favorite Pearl Jam song. I, I just think it's a, just a wonderful song, but you're sitting there and I haven't heard any songs off verses and they come out with animal and like, I just remember my antennas went up. I'm like, oh, no, this is this is something I can get behind. Because the rumors were, I remember like reading like the rock. I was real big into reading like the rock magazines. And when they were recording that, you always heard that the album was going to be called Five Against One. And I remember they start into it. And, you know, Eddie does the one, two, three, four, five against yeah. one, five, five, five against one. And I'm like, oh, that's that's the name of the song. 
you know, turns out it wasn't, it was, it was animal, but that was a great introduction to their new sound. Cause that song would not have fit on 10. Funny enough. We just did an episode, I think episode 91. And we, we have a series called most essential song song, essential song of the record. What song epitomizes the record to a T if you had to pick one and, and Paul chose uh, animal. And Paul, do you want to explain why you thought Animal was the most? Expensive? Well, a lot of it had to do with that intro, yeah, and and just the state of the mind at, at of the band at the time. This idea that you know they were rebelling against this this uh, idea that they they had suddenly become part of of a, being a voice of a generation, and you know having their identities commercialized and exploited, and uh, uh, you know a lot of this had to do with them just feeling. All they had was each other, you know, and, and they, it was it was five against one. And and uh, I think that that entire album versus it, it, it's not versus if you take that song off. So I think that's true. And I am always been of the mindset that Pearl Jam has the most drastic shift from their first album to their second album in terms of sound and in terms yeah. of approach and what they were going for. And I think I, and I mean that in the best way possible. I, I was not expecting what I got on verse based on what on what was on 10 and i and i'd think- be curious if if we had heard the original like the brendan o'brien mix which didn't exist at the time if we'd heard that mix instead of the reverb one if we had heard the brendan o'brien avocado mix instead of the one we like i i just wonder how those albums would be received or had would have been received at the time that is true it, it's it, whenever somebody goes back and does a, a remix like that you know it's interesting because especially for an album you've heard over and over and over it's interesting to see what elements somebody else has pulled up in the mix and that kind of thing but yeah. you're exactly right would it have been would it have had the same impact had it had that mix been released versus the one that actually was released you know it's it's, it's an interesting thought well as we kind of get close to winding it down I, what do you think is on the horizon for the band obviously uh, I keep reading, you know, there's going to be a tour announced, but do you think we get as long of a break as we did between, uh, was it, my, what was the, uh, is it my, had mind your manners on it. What was the name of that album? Mm-hmm. Um, lightning, Bolt. lightning Bolt. Lightning Bolt. Do you think we're going to have as long of a period of time or do you think they're going to churn something? Because I, I got to think the pandemic has got the creative juices flowing. Well, mm-hmm. we see that with, uh, with Ed's new solo album coming out uh, on February 11th. There was some news earlier in this week, again, as we record this, that Ed has said that their next Pearl Jam record will be produced by Andrew Watt, who did his solo record, who did the last Ozzy record, and did a lot of uh, more pop artists in, in the last decade or so. He's kind of the hot guy right now. He did the Lockdown oh. Sessions for Elton John, et cetera, et cetera. Stone last year mentioned a bunch of stuff from the Gigaton Sessions. Mike said the same thing last week. So... Eddie kind of intimated that once they kind of run through the postponed dates here in America and in Europe, they would kind of just get back in the studio and, and knock them out. So not this year, but I'm, I, I could feel somewhat confident that we'd see something in 2023. That would be great. Cause they just hit it out of the park with gigaton. Uh, I was just, I didn't know what to expect because I, I did not really like lightning bolt. I love backspacer. I thought backspacer was a great album. Lightning Bolt for me just it never it seemed just kind of disjointed to me. Mm-hmm. And when Gigaton came out, I remember like got the vinyl the day it came out. And by the time I was on like song four, I was like, they have really gotten gotten back on track in in my opinion. 
What are your favorite songs, both of you, on that record? Uh, oh, Gigaton. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it's got to be uh, Seven O'Clock and Never Destination. Mine is, uh, well, I like Super Blood, uh, Wolf Moon. And um... he's going to say Quick Escape, I'm pretty sure. Oh, don't you be so sure. <laughs> oh, that's Speaking- it. Uh, uh, all Right and Retrograde. Those I always, I'm so bad with that. Ooh, fun. All right. Really, it's got a little really, Pink Floyd vibe to it. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing. I really love Mellow Pearl Jam. One of my favorite songs, and I've turned so many people onto this song. I think it's one of the best love songs ever written was Come Back. Oh, it's, oh it's, agreed. It's a fantastic yeah, song. For sure. And here's here's what's great about Pearl Jam. Mike's solo on that is literally like 10 seconds long. But there's something about that quick solo to me that gives off so much emotion. It's one of my favorite guitar solos of all time, and it's really not even much of a solo, but it's the way he plays. I love listening to him, you know, play when he's really got his heart into it, like the uh, when he extends Yellow Ledbetter out at the end of the night and stuff like that. But I'm glad that you guys think that uh, we're going to get morning music because I got really excited about the first Eddie Vedder single. To me, uh, he he probably needs to be glad that Tom Petty's dead because Tom Petty yes, would have a. Uh, <laughs> He would have. He would say, uh, "Won't you cut me about half that check?" Yeah. <laughs> I looked at my wife when I first listened to it, and I go, "A lot of Tom Petty on this one." <laughs> Before we let you go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on your socials and and find the podcast? Oh boy. Okay. So that's um, State of Love and Trust Pod on Instagram, S O L A T Pod on uh, I think Facebook and Twitter. And uh, what else? Yeah, just search our name or Pearl Jam and you'll find us on Apple and Spotify and Google and Amazon and all the places that that host the podcasts will be there. You'll, you'll see you'll see our uh, our logo. It's pretty much a, um, a version of the no code cover, but with pictures that we source from our lives. Well, I mean, it's certainly a fantastic podcast and I encourage uh, anybody that listens to us to listen to them because we're of the same. We're cut from the same cloth in terms of the way we approach uh, this music. And uh, I really think that's great. And I guarantee you'll enjoy it. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the, the, the plugs and the support even before we came on. We've, we've yeah. gained a, a ton of listeners since you guys uh, picked it up um, some weeks ago and uh, forever indebted. Let's just say for, uh, for the support there with that. Thank you. Well, I, you know, like I said, uh, we're all busy and, and have families and stuff and, uh, for, for you guys to take time out to do this it, it means a lot to us like i said i've been trying to put it together for a while and uh, i'm really really glad that it happened so we always let our guests pick a playout song you can pick any song Ooh. you want by any band by guess, any band i guess we yeah. go two here what you know one for yeah Jason, one yeah for we'll, Paul, go, we'll go with two wow. Paul, should, we, should we pick pearl jam songs or, or black crow songs or something else uh, gosh pick whatever, whatever you want anything you want uh oh god this is on the spot oh boy that's the fun part <laughs> I, I, I mean, i'm gonna go i'm gonna go outside the. can i go outside the box yeah yeah cool uh you know what no i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna stay inside Paul's gonna the go box. dua lipa I, I i want you let, let's go with candle boxes candle box is a band that i think the hate is had gone too far man yes <laughs> look uh riptide off their new album you know what if I'm you like do? seven o'clock i think you'll like riptide I'm going to go with, um, we mentioned them before. I'm going to go with the Black Circle song. And uh, if you like the music that we all like, I think you're really going to like this. And I, and I encourage you to check them out because they are, they are the balls. Very cool. 
All right, everybody, here we are to uh, to play us out. We let uh, Jason and Paul pick the songs. Big thanks again to them for coming on. Stay tall, and we'll see you guys next week. I don't really want to live There is I can't let go of Can't let go of And I don't really want to live Chasing something I can't catch hold of can't catch hold of and I I was caught in a way and I I thought nothing would change and right
Oh, baby, I'm caught inside. 